depending on, uh, depending on how uh, closely you have gotten to know uh, Raven and myself since we've come to Blue Mountain Community Church, it may come as a surprise to you or it may not come as a surprise to you. I am a bit of a nerd. <laughs> there are no gasps. I can't believe it. <laughs> You're, okay, I'm, gl- I'm not alone at least. <laughs> uh, if you've been listening to my sermons, you might know me as a Bible nerd, which is cool, I think. I think that's cool. Um, but that is not where my nerdiness truly began. Uh, it goes all the way back to my childhood. Even in grade school, I was kind of geeky. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely loved doing was playing video games. And while a lot of different games came and went over the years, there was one in particular that I spent an embarrassing amount of hours playing, and it was called RuneScape. (laughs) RuneScape was, or I guess it is, because it still exists, um, it was a browser-based MMORPG. And if you don't know what that acronym means, that's okay, you're just not a nerd like me. Um, But the big takeaway is that rather than being something that you played alone um, or just with your friends, uh, in this game you were into an online world that was populated by all kinds of other real human character human-controlled characters. So if you saw other people walking around in the world, those were probably real humans that were also playing the game online. Um, so I would, I would log on and I would do quests with a friend that I had from church and we would talk on the phone together while we trained our characters and explore this big fantasy world of Gilinor. Uh, and the reason that I bring this up today <laughs> is uh, because I want to tell you about one specific memory from my time playing RuneScape as a child. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I just got home from school. I signed on to RuneScape and I was training my character. And this time I was by myself. My friend that I usually played with wasn't online. I don't know why. So while I was training away, I think I was mining ore to make myself upgraded armor. Again, please, like I, this is very nerdy. Um, <laughs> but, but as I was doing that, someone came into that same area and they started typing to me. And so the words appear over their head, and you see you know, on the screen this person's typing to you, and you're doing this boring waiting for your character to mine, so you know, you chat, right? Uh, it, it, uh, so and it, it wasn't a free-for-all, so they couldn't like, try to fight me or anything. We were just, you, know, you could trade items with each other and chat to one another and, uh, and you know, share tips. And this guy, or girl, I suppose, they were a much higher level than me with the you know, equipment that they were wearing. It was very obvious that their account was rich. And they'd gotten lots of good items, and so I was excited that they were talking to me. And hopefully I could learn from them about how to get better at the game. Well, after a whole long conversation, while we were mining away together, uh, this person, this is the embarrassing part, they convinced me to share with them my account password so that they could sign in and help me with a couple of things. And in my youthful innocence, I did it. (laughs) And immediately they signed out, and moments later I was signed out of my account, and they changed the password, and I was locked out of my account. And I was heartbroken, right? Now, I thankfully figured out how to submit a support ticket. This is like, you know, I'm 11 years old. I figured out how to submit a support ticket. Eventually, I got my account restored, but all of my stuff was gone. It was devastating, right? It's a free game. There was no real money involved or anything like that. But I was a kid, And it was scary, and it was upsetting. And while it wasn't a financial loss, I had been set back many hours of time invested in this game. And so I felt overwhelmed with emotions. I wasn't just sad about losing the stuff that I had worked so hard for. 
I was also angry, right? This was an injustice I'd been stolen from. But I think more than almost anything else, the primary thing that I felt was just ashamed. I felt ashamed. I felt like a fool. Someone had tricked me into trusting them and then had immediately betrayed me, and I should have known better. And so I can look back on that experience, I can look back on that moment and realize that it is a major contributor to the fact that to this day I have very good password security on all of my accounts for everything. <laughs> like I do, because, because I never wanted to have something like that ever happen to me again. Because I got hurt in that way, I put up walls and protections to stop myself from ever being hurt like that again. Now, this is a somewhat silly, kind of lighthearted, harmless kind of example, but I want to invite you today, this morning, right now, to just take like one beat with me and think, and think about your own life and story, and think if you can remember a moment or an experience that you've had that caused in you a kind of long-lasting, self-protective impulse. Just take a moment, right? Like maybe you really got scammed, not in a video game as a child, but in a business deal of some sort. And, and you were confronted with the idea that some people have malicious intentions and don't operate in good faith. And so you put up barriers, right? To make sure that you wouldn't be taken advantage of again. Or, or maybe you trusted someone and really relied on them and then they let you down in your moment of need. And so you started to put up some walls to make sure that you don't ever rely on someone like that again. So you don't have to go through that experience again. Or maybe you shared something private with a person and they went and they gossiped about you and you found yourself becoming much, much more cautious about who you shared what with and what it was that you shared with them, right? It drove you into greater isolation because people couldn't be trusted with your confidence. And it doesn't need to be interpersonal either. Like maybe there was a financial circumstance in your family when you were growing up where you experienced some real scarcity and it motivated you to desire financial security in a way that the people around you don't seem to need it. Like I can go on and on listing examples of the types of moments that we experience as we grow up to lead us to build for ourselves a series of self-protective walls, to build for ourselves barriers around ourselves to make sure we never get hurt that way again. And so I'm inviting you to just take a moment and to consider, to consider the walls that you have built, to consider and, and to the, 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 the ways that you have been self-protecting. We don't need to, right now in this moment, we don't need to characterize them as good or bad, positive or negative things. Just, I would like you to just take a moment and observe them if you're able. And just think about, hey, where did that come from? So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to give you a moment to think about that and see if there's something that comes into your mind. Okay? So these sorts of experiences that you are recalling right now, these moments that prompt us to build self-protective walls and towers within ourselves and the sadness, frustration, anger, and shame that go with those stories, they just seem to be a part of the human experience. Sometimes they serve us really well, <laughs> right? I personally am not disappointed that I now have very solid password security 
living in such a digital age. That's been a, that's been a benefit to me. I'm glad I learned that in a low-stakes environment like RuneScape, even though that was really hard for my younger self. But sometimes, the self-protective barriers that we put up do not serve us well, right? Like, like when being let down by a loved one drives us into radical self-sufficiency and into isolation, right? The thing that is supposed to help us, the barrier we put up to protect, can actually cause additional levels of harm. Or at the very least, it can rob us of love. It also protects us, right? But it extracts a cost. Today's psalm, Psalm 125, is another installment in this series of psalms that we're exploring called the Songs of Ascent. And in them, we are seeking to learn about what it means for us to be disciples, what it looks like for us to be faithful followers of Jesus on a journey of deepening intimacy with the only one who will never leave us or forsake us, right? And the question, the topic of concern in today's psalm is one of security. As we seek to follow after Jesus, what does the word security mean? What, is, what does safety mean? Is this a concept, sorry, is this concept also one that is impacted by our relationship with Jesus? Is, is security and safety also something that Jesus has, has something to say about? Spoiler alert, I believe that being a disciple of Jesus impacts every part of our existence. So yes, our self-understanding of safety and security are a part of the puzzle. And if that is the case, then how, right? How does following Jesus, how does living as citizens of God's kingdom impact our safety and security as we seek to follow after him? Well, I think that Psalm 125 has some really great insights for us on this question. But before we go there, let me preface this by telling you um, what I am not going to say to you today, okay? This is what I am not going to tell you this morning. I am not going to tell you that because we are Christians, we do not need to have boundaries and protections in place to keep us secure. I am not going to say that. That is not true, right? Um, I, I know that we know this intuitively, right? Like we still look both ways when we cross the street. <laughs> we all do. We know that there is cause for us to be cautious, to treat our lives as precious, right? To consider these things. But sometimes... I think we can begin to imagine that the message of the gospel is that we no longer need to have those sorts of concerns for ourselves and that in the moments that we do consider our safety or employ healthy boundaries, we feel like maybe we're doing something wrong. That is not the message today. So I want to get out in front of it and say, if that's what you're beginning to hear, that is not what I am trying to say. Uh, hopefully I will be able to clarify in a way that's helpful, okay? Actually, I, I think that our passage today makes it very clear that as believers, we require safety and security and protection just as much as everyone else. The distinction, I think, is that we don't have to be the ones to design the protections all on our own. Okay, So let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 125. That's our, our passage for today. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's going to be on page 800 and... No, oh, I'm on the wrong page. 887. So if you're in the, you can turn there with me if you'd like. I'll give you a moment to get there. 
So this is Psalm 125. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here. This says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Those are just the first two verses. And there are two main things that I would like you to notice, though. So verse 1 said, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Now, if you've read this like me, if you were like me when you read this, you might have read this verse and immediately thought, but, but I can be shaken. <laughs> I have been shaken. Am I, am I doing something wrong? And it's here that I hope that we can find the first thing that I'd like you to notice out of these two verses. There's something in what it says. It says, those who trust in who? In those who trust in the Lord. That's right. Those who trust in the Lord. So when I start thinking, but I can be shaken. I have been shaken. Oh no. And I catastrophize. I am operating in the wrong framework because I am trusting in me <laughs> when I get anxious about that, right? I can be shaken. Oh no, of course you can. That's why the invitation is not trusting in ourselves, not to trust in the walls that we can construct to keep ourselves safe, not to trust in the economy to continue moving in a certain direction, not to trust in my employer to keep on taking care of me. The invitation is not to put our trust in the fickle and fleeting things that can and will be shaken by the tasks and trials of life. Those who trust in the Lord, that's where we begin. And I think about this in the context of the people of Israel, right? The people who are singing this song on their journey to Jerusalem to worship. And I look at their history, and I don't know how much you all know about the history of the people of Israel, um, but they are continually looking, it seems, continually looking for something else to put their trust in, like over and over. Right? They, they, had, they had a theocracy. God was their king, and they cried out, we want a king, we want a human king, right? We want someone here. That didn't go super well for them. And then, you know, or, or Moses, when they're wandering in the desert and Moses goes up to the mountain for just a short little while, what do they do? They build themselves a golden calf to worship and to put their trust in something. They want something, right? And we can go on and on with examples of when they were shaken and when they were taken off course. But what we will not find anywhere in their whole entire history is a moment where God in response to their unfaithfulness, abandoned them, right? What we will not find is a moment when they were shaken and God left them in the lurch, right? God's faithfulness is the faithfulness that endures. No matter the circumstances that come, no matter the choices that we make and the ways that we fail, he continues to pour out his love. Does he at some points in Israel's history allow them to experience the consequences of their actions? Yes, he does. And why? To draw them back to him, <laughs> right? Always as a part of the story, he is drawing his people back to himself as the one who is never-endingly faithful, as the one who cannot be shaken but endures forever. That's the first thing I want us to notice. Those who put themselves as those who put their trust in the Lord. That's the story here. 
right? If you skip ahead with me to verses 3 and 4, you'll find it says, The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. And then they ask God, to continue on, uh, to continue on in his way of faithfulness. Lord, do good things to those who are good, do to those who are upright in heart, but to those who turn their crooked ways, the Lord will banish them to the people doers. Uh, what does verse 3 say to us, right? If we come back to that verse 3, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Well, first, it acknowledges that sometimes things go wrong, <laughs> Right? Because they're, they're in a situation where the scepter of the wicked, it says it won't happen forever, but it implies that it is happening, right? But there's, that's not a secret, right? This, this, is not a, this is not a stick your head in the sand and pretend nothing ever goes wrong uh, kind of psalm. But they write, it will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. It will not remain. What does this mean? They are confessing a very simple truth. Evil never lasts forever. The goodness and love that flows from God will always outlast. We, we know the ending, right? Just before I came, our church was journeying through the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. What do we find there? The reminder, the hope, that in the end of it all, God is on the throne. Evil does not have the final say. If we trust in ourselves or the fickle temporal things of the world, it may truly seem that way. And that's why the psalm ascribes this unshakability, not to any personal ability, but to a trust in the Lord, the one who endures forever, the only one who endures forever, the only one who was able to defeat the powers of sin and death, the only one who makes a way for us to enter into that new life together with him. Does it mean there will be no challenges? Does it mean that I will never be shaken? No. It means that the one in whom I put my trust, the one with whom I entrust my heart, will never be shaken. Okay? So let's, let's find our way back to verse 2. In verse 2 it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and and forevermore. This is a beautiful picture of the God who comes around us as our protector, right? You may not know this, but Jerusalem, it was a walled city. It had strong, defensible walls all around it. In an earlier Song of Ascent that we, we, uh, we, we read together and, and, and you know, discerned through, uh, we heard about how Jerusalem was a well-built city. It talked about how all the stones hold together strongly. We get to this passage of security, this, this, this psalm about security, and it doesn't make any mention of the human-built walls of Jerusalem. It points to the mountains. There are seven hills or mountains uh, that surround the city of Jerusalem. They made the city a very defensible place. They did more to protect Jerusalem than human-built walls ever could. In fact, in the history of Jerusalem, those walls do get knocked down. The city does get conquered. The temple is destroyed. But those mountains, you could go and climb them today. They have remained. Here's, here's where I, I want to bring us back to the story that we started our time with together today. 
to the idea that, you, that I had you hold in your mind for a moment about the walls that you have constructed and the experiences that prompted you to create them. And I want to sketch, uh, I want to stretch the metaphor a little bit together if we can, if that's okay. So if you were designing a city and there were seven defensible hills around the city, would you want to design it in a way that takes those into account or just ignores them? Obvious answer, we would want to take them into account. Yes, we would, we would want to consider the geography, the mountains surrounding our home when we thought about what we would build. This is what I meant when I said earlier that the message is not that we are not to have security or protection. Every human being needs that to survive in this world. The message is that we don't have to design it ourselves, right? That God has given us blueprints. <laughs> he is the mountain range that surrounds us and security that comes from not blindly building walls to self-protect on the basis of heart. If we go that way, I'm sure we'll get it right some of the time, but instead our walls and protections should seek to follow the outline, the examples that God has given us, right? The instructions that he has laid out for us in his word and in the example of Jesus. When we think about how we relate to others vulnerably, we don't just consider that time that we got burned by a close friend, we also consider what the Bible teaches about loving and caring for our neighbors. When we, when we look at the example of Jesus and how he interacted with those who were closest to him, when we think about how we're going to manage our finances, we don't just take into account the self-protective walls that we've built upon you know, our, experience, our experiences of scarcity when we were young. We consider the teachings of Jesus and, and the mountain outposts that surround us, right? I'm speaking very abstractly here, and I get that. So what I'd like to do is just give you an example, give you a picture of how this has worked out in my own life, okay? So the video game example earlier was a little bit lighter. This one might be a little bit heavier. I won't go into all of the details, but suffice it to say that there was a, a series of experiences for me in my youth that led me to believe that I should not trust other people. That if I was to open up and be vulnerable and share honestly about myself, what I would receive was hurt, betrayal, rejection. And so I built for myself a series of very tall, very thick, self-protective walls. And I turned inward. Right? And I didn't share with others when I struggled, and I only showed people the good side, right? the, the perfectly crafted uh, veneer of a Christian young man who never doubted, who never feared, and never struggled with sin. And it worked, right? I had lots of friends, and people seemed to like me, and they wanted to spend time with me. But even though I had all of these people around me, because I was never vulnerable with them, because I didn't share myself with them openly, I still felt painfully alone. And when difficult things arose, I didn't feel able to ask for help. And instead, I would just try to shoulder the burden on my own, afraid that if I appeared imperfect, people would leave me in the dust. Believing that the only reason the people around me liked me or cared about me was because of this perfect picture of myself that I had shown. The structure, the walls that I reactively built to protect myself, did not align with God's protective mountain range. It went too far, right? And I shut out 
the possibility of hurt, but I also shut out the possibility of love, right? The possibility of truly being seen and known in my brokenness and called beloved by the people that were closest to me. This was not a net positive in my life. Actually, it sat at like the deepest root of some of the very, you know, darkest challenges and most broken pieces of myself. And when I started to have real difficulties in my life, I felt like there was nowhere to turn. There was nowhere that I could share. The challenges and the need just seemed to overwhelm me. Now, thankfully, God did not leave me on my own, right? So as the walls that I had built began to crumble under the weight of what I was facing, and I finally had to admit that I couldn't walk the path of life all on my own, God called me to reorder the structure of my protections. And he had been at work. Long before I was aware that this was coming, he had already placed in my life many amazing people who were just chomping at the bit to be flesh and blood examples to me of his unending love, who were all ready to see the ways that I fell short and still loved me to my core. And through a whole series of events, I came into confession to some people very dear to me, and rather than rejection, which is what I was expecting and what I had known to happen in the past, they showed me a radical love and acceptance and care. And it was one of the most healing things that I've ever experienced in my whole life. The invitation to be more vulnerable actually made me much, much, much more safe. But it took a reorganizing of the walls that I had built for myself that did not align with the walls that God had designed for his people. You hear me say all the time from up here that we are not meant to go at this discipleship thing alone. That is not just a trite phrase from me. I have tried. It doesn't work. We cannot go at this alone. Church, that is not where you want to be. So I brought with me this morning a picture. This hangs on the wall in my office at home. And I'm not an artist, <laughs> but as I was journeying through this, as I was learning these lessons, God brought me a picture, an image out of the book of Zechariah. This is Zechariah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and it's actually about this city, Jerusalem. It's a prophecy of the future and of what will come. It's a prophecy, a dream of the goodness that is available. It says that Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock within it. And God says, for I will be a wall of fire around it. And I will be the glory within it. And I remember reading this passage and just thinking, that's what I need to be. <laughs> a city without walls. Able to walk in vulnerability and safe not because of the ways that I self-protect, but because of his protection around me. What does that look like for me in a very practical sense? An increase in vulnerability, certainly, in sharing, in finding meaningful places for me to live that out, to walk closely in discipleship with other people. But it hasn't been completely unhinged. <laughs> I don't just share everything with everyone and trust that I'll be safe. It's a prayerful process, and it is a walking in step in obedience because there is 
a wall of protection. Because not everyone needs to know all of the details of your story, but some people do. And so there is a listening actively. And I try to live into this and I try to be vulnerable even as I preach. It's something that I, that I try to do that I've grown a lot in, to be vulnerable in sharing my story, but doing it in a way that is safe. And I make those choices to share or not, or what to share in prayer. Prayerfully considering, God, have you laid this on my heart? Is this the place you're asking me to step out? And he has been so faithful. And that's why I can say I'm so much safer <laughs> when I am more vulnerable. That's what it has looked like for me to discover the walls that I had built and to recognize that they were not working with the walls, the mountains that God has encircling me as a protector. And to try to find a way to bring those, those geographies or those, you know, that architecture into chorus together, into conversation together. So the invitation to you today, this is the challenge, is to consider those stories that you were holding in your hearts earlier. Those moments that triggered a building of a wall and to consider whether those protective barriers that you have put into place are aligned with God's design to protect you or they are working, uh, or, or they're working against God's design for your protection and safety. And to, and to discern and to try to figure out and to prayerfully, hopefully in the course of the wisdom of the church and other people, to figure out what it might look like to see those come closer together, to mesh together, to work together, to be walking in step, to be able to be a city without walls, with a fire around from the Lord that protects us. This image means a lot to me. This is, I'm, I'm not an artist, but I thought oh, I have to, you know, I was encouraged to make a piece of artwork to show this story. And it's something that I look to. I have it just behind my computer on the, the, the wall in my office. And in those moments, uh, I stop and I look at it and I think and I reflect back. And it's a helpful reminder. I'm gonna, I know it's small. I'm going to leave it up here. So if you do want to come and, and look closer at it, you are welcome to after, um, after our gathering today. Um, but that's the invitation. That's the challenge today, to consider those things that were stuck in your mind, to ask what it looks like to put your trust not in yourself, but in the Lord and his unshaking faithfulness, and to walk by faith in obedience, trusting that he and his design for our protection is actually greater than our design for our protection. So why don't we go to him in prayer and ask for that, that wisdom from him? Lord, we thank you that you are our protector, that you are watching over us, that you care about our safety, that we can put our trust in you and that you are one who will never, ever fail. Lord, I pray for each of us as we think, as we consider the places where we've been hurt, the walls that perhaps we have built, would you give us wisdom to look at those things and to see how they align or clash or, or mesh together with what it is that you have for us. With the dream and the possibility, the things that you have made available to us. To, to consider how it might be that we could be even more safe if we were willing to, to walk in faith with you. 
Lord, I pray for each person here that's doing that discerning, that's doing that considering. God, I pray for protection from you over them in that process. God, I pray that you would give them people, friends, and, and fellow pilgrims on this journey of following after you that they can wrestle together with and that you would build them up in a love that abounds, God. Lord, help us to build our life, to build our everything on you and to trust in you so that we can go and be unshaken, not because of anything to do with us, but because of your greatness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.